bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace even now. We thank you for the word we've heard this morning, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher once again this afternoon. Father, keep us attentive and willful, uh, willing listeners to your word, as well as willing doers of your word. And uh, touch each and every heart as you see fit. And every one of us has different needs. Help us and strengthen us that we may glorify your name. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn to a very familiar chapter in Genesis chapter 2, the last verse. Genesis chapter 2, the last verse. And we'll read into chapter 3 as well. Let's go back to verse 23, just a, a little bit of context. And Adam said, This is the now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Speaking of Eve, his new wife. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. <clears throat> and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God hath, doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife had themselves from the present and hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the, of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said unto the woman whom thou gave, man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? <clears throat> and the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the woman, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, 
Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon the, thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and this woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and in thy conception in sorrow, and sorry, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And thorns and thistles shall bring it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now let, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God set, sent forth from the garden of Eden. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and his and placed and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I've read the entire third chapter as well. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. My initial intention was not to read the whole chapter 3. It was to focus on a particular verse and, and maybe that's going to happen to, uh, as, as the Lord leads in this afternoon. But the reason this came to me, this chapter, was many times I'm asked and it came recently from someone that says I know I did this in the past and God has forgiven me but I don't know if I can forgive myself have you ever heard that? They believe that God has forgiven them, but it's eating away at them because they're not sure that they can forgive themselves. And I've heard this over and over, over many years. And so I began to think more and more about this, and I 
my mind turned back to a topic we had, I don't know how many months ago, how many years ago, on guilt and shame. And there, this is a big problem, as I did more research on it. This is a big problem, not just for the unconverted, but for the converted. We see in this, and that's why I kept on reading, we see in this uh, chapter in a bit, the narrative of the fall and how before the fall, Adam and Eve, well, Adam, if you will, was married to Eve. As someone once said, he went to sleep a bachelor and he woke up married. And it says, and they were naked, but they were not ashamed. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. It wasn't until they acquired this knowledge of good and evil that they could now reflect and say, no, when they can be ashamed. They covered themselves with fig leaves. But they also hid themselves under the cover, probably of the vegetation, thinking that God could not see them. They felt the guilt of their sin. Guilt for sin is the breaking or the violation of a standard or a law. That's guilt. Whether you, whether you feel ashamed or not, you're guilty according to the law. Many people get speeding tickets. They don't feel ashamed. They know they're guilty because they have to pay a fine. If they don't, they get fined more. So being guilty and being ashamed are two different things. Guilt is a, the violation of a standard or a law. Shame, on the other hand, as we have learned in the past, is the pain we feel, the mental war that goes in our minds, if you will, the battles we have, Because we have failed in the eyes of some, whether it's a person, whether it's our family, whether it's God, we failed. We made a failure. And now in this relationship, we have hurt someone and we feel inferior. We feel that we are bad. Some people feel bad, some don't. Some have a seared conscience. They may not feel anything. But for those that do have this, this knowledge of good and evil in them and respond to that, that do not have a seed conscience, there's a pain that goes on. And that pain gnaws at them day and night. Some people can't live with it. If you go back to the garden, you think, what happened to Eve and Adam when they had transgressed? And they were found out. And they, felt they were declared guilty and they were guilty but they were also ashamed and there was a lot of regret 
I'm sure when they compare the life before the fall and life after the fall, there was a lot of regret. Regret and remorse are two different things as well. You regret doing it. You don't have to be remorseful. Some people regret it and are remorseful. They're sorry that they've hurt others. They're sorry that they have injured others. They're more concerned about being caught than actually feeling shame about it. And I'm just wondering, not that I wonder, I've through experience, I see that people, some people will not let go of the past. They continue, even though they believe that they're not guilty now in the sense that God has forgiven them, that's what justification is all about in, in the life of a, uh, someone that has converted from sin to Christ. They have been justified. They have been, if you will, in some ways acquitted of the crime. It's not that they didn't do it. But Christ died in their stead and the penalty was paid. The, the, the ransom was paid. And they believe that God forgave them or do they? There's another question. But there's always this lingering, lingering, gnawing, eating problem. And it's a big problem in many people's lives. One of the things that we have to really remember is what, not just what happened in the garden. That was the first, and the first sin that ever occurred. But Satan hasn't changed his tactics. Satan tried to destroy God's creation and he was successful in the sense that man died. And God cursed the ground that he worked on. God also cursed the serpent. But the devil is in some way not some way, in much the same way, dealing with humans as he did in the first garden, in the first sin. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. There was a sinner in the church of Corinth that had repented of his sin. He was penitent. He was remorseful. If it was the same one as in 2 Corinthians 7, then that's who he's referring to. And this sinner repented of his sin. And apparently the church was not ready and willing to receive him back. So Paul had to plead with them and say this. Chapter 2, verse 5, coming down. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, a little bit, that he did this, that he caused so much difficulty in the church, that he caused sadness and hurt in the church, that I may not overcharge you all, 
He didn't want to come down hard on the church either because the church was hurt. But he said, sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was inflicted of many. So someone had sinned, he may have been scandalous, may have reached out to the community, but he had shown repentance and he asked for forgiveness and it looked like they were very reluctant to forgive him. They actually inflicted some punishment on him, doesn't say what it is. And he said, of many. Now, many doesn't mean, you know, 50, 40% were against 64. It just said there was sufficient substance in the church that this punishment was actually inf inflicted, this discipline. So that contrary wise, you ought to rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. There's someone that's really repented. Don't push it so far that he would be consumed in it and maybe go the other way. Maybe look for fulfillment somewhere else. Maybe go to leave the church, whatever it was, right? Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love to him. Confirm your love and show your love to him. Why? Because he sinned, but he repented. And now he wants to come back. For to this end also I did write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also, for I am, for I, if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes for, <clears throat> forgave I it in the person of Christ. This is Paul saying, I am telling you that I am forgiving him. I can see the issues. I can see the spiritual problem. But I, in the person of Christ, as if Christ would have done it himself, forgave, forgive this man. And then he said this, lest Satan should get an advantage over, of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Well, what are his devices? Just that. Just that to say, you are so bad because you've done this. You should be ashamed of yourself. No, look, nobody loves you in the church. Da 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 da. You may as well just leave. Discouragement. One of the biggest ploys and devices of Satan is discouragement. And there are many times when we believe that. Where we believe these little voices in our head. You're not good enough. Shame. Shame on you. How did Adam and Eve feel for the next 600 years, 700 years, whatever it was, that they lived when they saw the corruption, the violence that followed, the murders, the bloodshed? Just before the flood, when God said, I'm going to wipe out this world because of sin. It's reached the heavens. It must have been really hard on them. I'm just imagining to say, we 
We caused all of this. Now I'm giving you this extreme because I want to bring things into context. Call it for what it is. We as whether we are unconverted and we're coming to Christ, we look back at our past. Some of us may look back and say, oh, I wasn't that bad. I didn't go into this kind of a sin. I didn't do that kind of a sin like the Pharisee in, in chapter 18, I believe, or, or 19 of, 18 of, of uh, Luke. He says, God, I thank you I'm not like other men. I do so many uh, ties, I, 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 I uh, fast so many times and so forth, and neither am I like this publican next to me. And he felt so good about himself. But the publican didn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, which one do you think went home justified? Which one do you think was acceptable to God? That's what justification now is. You're acceptable now to God. You are now righteous in his eyes. Someone that truly believes that the blood of Christ was shed on the cross for his sins and that through repentance, as Romans 3 says and, and many other scriptures, about through repentance and confession... And profession of Christ, he's made right in the sight of God. He knows he cannot change the past. It's done. As the tree falls, so shall it lie, Solomon says. He knows he can't change the past. But he also knows and believes now that God can change his future. That's the marvelous story of grace, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter how bad a sinner I was, because now God had to shed blood. He clothed Adam and Eve so they were no longer naked. Because he had to shed the blood of Christ, he clothed us with the righteousness, the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. And what does it take on our, heart, on, on our behalf that gives us that peace? It's a very simple gospel. Faith to believe that he did it for me. That this was sufficient to be forgiven by God, to be made right with him, to be placed in heavenly places. If we go back and say, yeah, but I can't forgive myself, what are we really saying? What are we really saying? Do we truly believe that God had forgiven my sin in the first place.
I can, I can accept that, that we can truly believe it, yet we get this gnawing, gnawing um, thing that is eating us all the time that I cannot forgive myself. People that cannot forgive themselves and, and have this shame that's lingering think that there is something that they had done that is irreparable. And you know, there are many things that we can do that we cannot change. We, I just finished saying that we, we cannot change the past. We cannot change that. But it is reparable. It is fixable. If I have an accident and smash my car, you say, well, that's reparable. Maybe not. Maybe it's a total write-off. But it's fixable. I remember when Ryan had his accident in going to the Windsor Choir back in 2000, whatever it was, and he flipped his cabrio five times over, and he escaped with a little chipped tooth. And he was so sorry when I visited him in the hospital in Leamington, and, and the first thing he got off the, off, the, off the medical chair waiting for me, he came and I said, Ryan, sit down. He said, Dad, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. I, it was, I mean, I bought the car with him. It's under my name. The first thing that came out of my mouth, Ryan, we can replace cars, but we can't replace people. We, he won't get that cabrio back, but have another chance at life. And to make, realize, make him realise that this thing is redeemable. It can be fixed. Now that you've done this, don't do that again. Don't go driving without, with only three hours sleep the night before. So in our lives, there are things that we may have done in our past, whether we are born again or not born again, and we can't forgive ourselves, they're fixable. We can come to God just like Peter came to God. You remember what Jesus said? And I, it's still some of a mystery to me. When Jesus said, if any man denies me before, before man, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven and before the holy angels. What happened on that crucial night when Peter said, Lord, though every man forsake you, I will never leave you. I will go to the death with you. The Lord that performed all these miracles in front of Peter that healed his mother-in-law that told Peter and John to cast on the other side of the ship in Luke chapter 5, and they did, and they hauled in this humongous catch of fish, and Peter jumps into the lake. Because he said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Before this holy God, which he recognized in Matthew 16 and, and confessed in front of all men 
You are, the, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And when he saw this miracle, this God-created miracle of catch a fish, he was standing in the presence of God, the creator God, who knew where the fish were and maybe called them in. And he, he saw his guilt. I am guilty before you. And he felt his shame. I'm a sinful man. Go away from me. The same Peter, after experiencing all the miracles and love and compassion and example and wisdom, denies Peter, uh, Jesus three times. I don't know the man. Never... Never seen him before. And then the Bible says that he even swore the third time. Jesus said to Peter, way back when, he says, you're going to do this, Peter? You're going to go to the death with me? Verily, I'm telling you now, because it happened in the Lord's Supper. Before this night is over, by the time the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Luke twenty two sixty one. When Peter uttered his third denial, the cock crew. And it said, and Jesus looked upon Peter. And Peter saw him. And he said he went out and he wept bitterly. The shame, the hurt, the pain Peter was going through. There was another one that denied Christ. Judas, on the same night. He betrayed him with a kiss in the garden. Jesus told him in this Lord's Supper, he says, go, what do you want to do? Go and do it quickly. And when Judas realized what he had done, he regretted it. He went back to the priests and he gave them the money back and they said, what's that to us? See thou do it. And the Bible says he went out and he hung himself. What was the difference between the two? Peter felt the shame, the remorse, the repentance. All Judas did was feel regret. There was no godly repentance. And this is the part that is difficult for me, maybe not. In the same chapter 21 of John where this is the second time Peter's in the boat fishing and Jesus comes onto the shore and he says, children, come dine. 
come and eat with me. John said, it's the Lord. After his resurrection, it's the Lord. And Peter, seeing him, jumped into the water because he was naked. He felt the shame. But Jesus calls them all to the beach. And he says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. He didn't say, I remember you denied me. Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. God accepted the repentance of Peter. God, Jesus Christ, he accepted the repentance of Peter, even though he said, if any man denied me before man, I will deny him before my father. The only thing that I can get out of that, some say, well, because he wasn't converted. Jesus never qualified that. Peter repented of his sin. Peter repented of his sin. To say, God, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry for hurting you. And Peter did go to the death for him afterwards. The point is, we have to believe When God tells us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He says in verse 9 of 1 John, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We need to rely on those promises. So when the question comes to me and says, what else must I do to, to forgive myself? is to believe his word, is to believe the word of God, to believe what he promised he would do, he will do. How do we get saved in the first place? By believing the word of God. We're going to we need to ask another question. Why do we want to keep on gnawing ourselves and allowing ourselves to be eaten away with this I can't forgive myself? What it does to us is paralyzes us. It stops us from functioning and doing the things that God wants us to do. If Peter was lived the rest of his life constantly ignoring himself, constantly thinking that, you know... This is too much for me. I denied my Lord. Instead, Jesus says, you go now feed my sheep. You go now and pastor my, my lambs. Lead them. Instruct them. Teach them. But don't let this to paralyze you. And it does for many people. God wants us to accept his forgiveness. And not allow the devil and his devices to pound us down every day 
because there's some, I cannot change the past, but what I can do is work with a new future and work harder for it. That's why Paul says, I was the, I'm a, was the most wicked of sinners. I was the chief of sinners. And now, because he was the chief of sinners, he had these on his mind, on his, uh, he, he remembered them, but he didn't let that gnaw him down, that he caused others to blaspheme, that he beat them, that he had Stephen stoned. He could have gone back, oh, look, I had Stephen stoned, I was a murderer, and, and paralyzed himself completely. And it causes you to, to, to miss out on other responsibilities in our families, in our lives, in our churches, That doesn't give us a free ticket to sin, by the way. As a matter of fact, because he's gracious to us, we've got to be more and more willing to serve him out of love. Not out of obligation, but because we love him. Because we love him, we will keep his commandments. I hope and pray that there are none here in our church that are getting paralyzed because they're so hung up that I can't forgive myself. It should be sufficient to say that your father who knows you better than any, and my father who knows us better than anyone who knows us in and out, and he says, I forgive you, that we should accept that forgiveness and acceptance. There is a false guilt. There is a false shame. There is a genuine guilt and a genuine shame. Let us not get caught in the false guilt and the false shame. I'm thinking of some ideas. How can we, for example, very simplistically, how can I feel guilty falsely? Let's say everybody else is giving so many thousand dollars a year to the church, but I'm only giving so much. I feel guilty. Whose standard are you going by? Are you going by their standard or are you going by God's standard? So I feel guilty because I can't give as much as somebody else. That's not God's standard. God's standard is in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, every man as he purposes in his heart to give, not reluctantly, but willingly. For God loves as a cheerful giver. So by me comparing myself with somebody else is not wise. And I feel guilty because I can't match them. That's a false standard. So it's a false guilt. And you can think of other ones, how I can be falsely ashamed for things that God doesn't want me to be ashamed about because he has paid the debt. He has paid the, the, the ransom. Big one is when we compare ourselves with others. How about this one? I can't call people over for supper today because... I'm not asking you to call me for supper either, but because my house is 
not as immaculate as so-and-so's, I'd be embarrassed to call them out of our place. Or haven't prepared, and we have visitors out, out of town, good friends, but I can't call you over because what? Are we supposed to have shame in that? Or is, are we more thinking about them than us? That's the question. Are we thinking about others more than we're thinking about ourselves? Now, shame and guilt are not bad things. I want to repeat that. Shame and guilt are good things. True shame, true guilt are good things. They should be your friend. Because what, they, what do they do? They warn us of what is wrong and what needs to be fixed up. And I've given the example many times. If you've got hands that have been desensitized like lepers' hands, the reason apparently the leprosy is so bad is because you don't feel anything and you rub it against things and you just wear things down, if that's the explanation. Or you cut yourself, you don't know you're bleeding. How are you going to get help? Guilt and shame are good things. To prick the conscience. To, to goad us in the right direction. But false guilt and false shame are the devil's tools, implements, that he uses to discourage and to paralyze us in the real work of Jesus Christ. This is my prayer for us all, to God be the glory. Brother, find him. I think one of the reasons We may feel so ashamed because we feel that Christians cannot sin. And some people say that Christians cannot sin because that's what John 3 says. It's very clear that when we live in the community we do, in the church that we do, um, and we acknowledge ourselves that we fall short which is sort of a euphemism for sinning. Every one of us must confess that we need forgiveness. And the attitude is not that shall we sin because grace abounds, but rather because grace does abound when I do sin, I can come before God because he has his son at his right hand, the paraclete. The Bible calls him the paraclete in 1 John chapter 2. The strengthener, the comforter, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the advocate, in other words, used. He intercedes for us. He pleads to the Father and he says, Father, forgive him or her because I shed my blood for him and for her. 
And he promised us he will forgive us. We need to believe that and accept that. But then he wants to do what he asked John Peter to do. John went also and he did his thing. He went to Patmos. He suffered in another way. But he told Peter, you've got to go and feed my sheep. And he said, Peter, you're going to suffer for me. They're going to take you to places you didn't want to go. You'll stretch forth your hands. Signifying which death he was going to die. And Peter had learned from his past mistakes, from his past sins. And his love grew stronger for Christ because Christ was so gracious to him. And he wants us to do the same. When we do fail, when we do fall, when we do trip up, when we do sin, let's, not, let's call sin a sin. God gives us a recourse. He gives us a way out. And when we repent and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And if God will throw those sins into the depths of the sea and remember them no more, why would we go fishing for them? Why would we go back and try to dig them up? Because somehow we feel that if we inflict pain upon ourselves, we will be more acceptable to God? That is not the scripture. But instead, to show that we truly mean to God, to show that we truly love Him, let's serve Him with more diligence. Let's be careful the next time First, Second Corinthians 7 says, what care it wrought among you, what diligence, what speed to make things right, what revenge and hatred for sin you will have because you see how it deceived you the first time. This is my prayer for all of us. To God be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.